your minds and prepare. And then I'll close this out and we'll move right into the word. Father, we thank you for your holy and divine word and the promises that are contained within it. You meant every word your son even said, there's not a jot or a tittle that's going to be changed. Your word lives and abides forever. You are a God who cannot lie and you put it there for the world to see for eternity. And these are promises that are precious and great to us. And today, I pray for each and every individual that's here and those who couldn't make it. I pray that you would be with them and be with their families and their friends and their loved ones. I pray for a hedge of protection and safety around them and your love to encompass them. Father, a lot of people in life today, especially even here, We have mountains in front of us. We've got problems. We've got issues. We've got things going on in life. And today, I feel like your spirit has moved us to study what we're about to, to let us know how good and great you are. May the Holy Spirit move among us right now and prepare and open our minds and hearts to be receptive to your word, to your promise. But not only receptive, Father, but we pray in earnest that you would allow us to understand and to grab a hold and really believe these promises that they are real. And Father, we pray for what you're about to do in our lives And in your body of Christ. Here at New Life in Perrigan. In Jesus name. Amen. While you're turning to Isaiah 45. I've got to tell you something I heard this week. (laughs) Tell you something that I've heard this week. Um, There's a guy who's a big football fan. Man he's one of the biggest fans you've ever seen. He got an opportunity. (laughs) he, He got an opportunity to buy some Super Bowl tickets. So he did, man. He, he went way ahead of time. He bought those tickets, paid about $2,500 each for them. He was so proud and happy. That is until his fiancée reminded him that that's their wedding day. <laughs> Uh-oh. Big trouble. So he did what you got to do. He went on Facebook and he posted it that, you know, hey, I've made this mistake. This has come up. Is there anybody that can take my place? If you can, it's at 1 o'clock at First Baptist Church, and her name's Tiffany. <laughs> okay. Well, moving right along. I want to introduce you today to maybe a God you've never thought about. A God for your life that you may not have knew is blazing a trail ahead of you, who's going before you, And like the trailblazers, making a way for you to go. Now, when I was a kid, I loved to read all of those books 
about the characters of the past. I loved all of the books about like Wild Bill Hickok, Buffalo Bill, Annie Oakley, all of that. I read about horses, the Black Stallion and, the, and all of those. I loved those wilderness things. I loved the frontier part. I loved the Indian tribes. I used to read about Sitting Bull, Cochise, and Geronimo. And I'm going to fill you in on a couple of little secrets that not too many people know. I used to pretend and tell everybody that I was half Apache, descended from Geronimo, because, man, to me, he was like that wildest character out there. And uh, he was so tough and rough. I'd tell everybody, yeah, I'm half Apache. Can you see my high cheekbones? And uh, I'm descended from Geronimo. And uh, I'm, I, I don't think too many people believe me. But I'm going to tell you something else about growing up, too. I'm back on the family farm where I was at whenever uh, my family split up when I was three and a half years old. And I went uh, to live there with my grandfather and grandmother and my mom. And uh, as you would grow up in the middle to late 60s as a kid, we didn't get out much. You didn't go everywhere like you do today. I mean, back then, we stayed pretty much around the house. And as a kid being five, six, seven years old, Perrigan was the entire world. It was just like Andy and Mayberry, you know, Perrigan was it. And our house was on the front of the road, and then you had the cornfield, and then you had the wilderness. The 40 acres out back that Grandpa had. As a kid growing up, that was everything. That was the world. And when I would go and I would read those books about Davy, Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier, and Lewis and Clark, and Daniel Boone, well, that was me. And I had to travel across the prairie, which was the cornfield, to get back to the woods which was the wilderness, and it was filled with savages. I mean, there was engines there. That's what we called them back then, engines. And you had wild beasts. I mean, there's possum and coon and fox and deer. I mean, we're talking wild things. At six years old and this high, it was. And... I would not do this today, but they allowed me to go up there by myself <laughs> with my little thermos and my sandwich, and I'd go up there and I'd spend several hours playing and coming back. And I think today there's no way I would turn kids loose in the world we have today. But I would do that. And you know how I found my way out? I'd watch Daniel Boone. I knew how to blaze a trail. I knew first time breadcrumbs don't work. That story's true too. Them little critters up there eat those things and you can't find your way back out. So what you got to do is take your little hatchet and you got to go up there and you got to mark the trees and you got to wade down the brush and mark the tree and wade the brush and you go through and you blaze a trail and you follow that back. Now once I'd proved that I could go up there a time or two and do that by myself, 
Well, my little cousin Sonia's not back here. I was going to tell her her dad, Doug, my little cousin, by about five years. I then got to take him up there. And we would go up there and we would be like Lewis and Clark, you know, discovering everything that there was. And I'd bring him back out of the wilderness. Well, you know, part of that kind of thing is true because if you think about it, back in 1774, America couldn't move west because of the mountains. Oh, a few individuals could go, but you couldn't take horses and wagons and carriages and supplies. That had to stay on the east coast, but everybody wanted to go west. But then that frontiersman, Daniel Boone, found the Cumberland Gap. And he went ahead and he blazed a trail so that everybody else could follow that and go through and start settling the Great West. Without the blazing of the trail, you would go up the mountain and get stuck and you'd be lost. And you couldn't make it. So you had to stay on the trail that was blazed and it became more and more acceptable. And in the next 35 years from 1775... For 35 years, almost 300,000 settlers went through there to start going west. Well, the point of all of this is, is to say, we serve a God who is blazing the trail ahead of us. He wants to be your guide. He wants to be the one who has patterned out and went ahead of you and prepared the way so that we can follow that and not get lost and not wander off to where we need to be. He's also gave us a map called the Word of God, the Holy Bible, as this map of the trail that He has blazed and the directions that He wants us to go and to take as we go through life on this. So now, He says, my advice is simple to you. Follow me. Jesus said that to His disciples, didn't He? Come, follow me. Well, what does that look like? Well, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14 and 24, there's a man named Caleb. Out of two million people who come out of Egypt, seeking a land called the promised land, two people made it through the entire journey. Joshua and Caleb. Why did Caleb make it? Well, look at what the scripture says. My servant... Caleb, because he's got a different spirit about him. He has followed me fully. He, he, and that doesn't mean that you never get off track anywhere. What that means is your mind, though, is always in that direction towards God. He said, because he followed me fully, he trusted in me. I will bring him to the land that I promised And he and his descendants after him will inherit it. Now why was Caleb one of the two? Because God says his spirit within him and he followed me fully. That's what it is. He followed the trail that God had. If you'll remember when they went in there and searched ahead of time. They went over there to spy out the land. And they said... There's giants 
He was the one who stood up. But God said, we can take the land, so let's go take what He has already given to us. He's already went ahead of us and prepared it for us. I don't care who's there. The rest didn't do it. But because His Spirit always said, I'm trusting in Him for what He said to me, He got to go in. God is like that. He is blazing the trail and preparing the way ahead of us. But it seems like life happens and mountains become in our path and stop us, don't they? Or the road has a big gate across it and we can't get through. Something's always popping up. Or things in my life kind of imprison me and put bars around me. That I don't move forward the way that I need to. Your mountain might be a health related issue. Your mountain might be debt. Your mountain might be other people (laughs) that are constantly annoying you. Like we talked a little bit about last week with the sparrows. Whatever your mountain is... God has a way of removing that mountain and blazing a trail through it for you. Even when we don't realize it, whatever it is, our prison may be some type of addiction. It may be something that we just can't give up as a temptation. But guess what? We got good news today. We're going to figure out how God is going to get rid of all of these things to you whenever you fully trust Him like Caleb did. How is he going to do it? Do I think God is not big enough to solve all of my problems? Do you think he's not able to deliver you the way he said? Well, let's, let's, start, let's start investigating this. Do you think it's a complete surprise to God where you're at today? Do you think it's a complete surprise to him where, where we're at in life? No, it's not. We are all in a different section of life. And we all have a different mountain or a problem. But God is not surprised by any position where any of us are in this life. Here is what he says to us in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27. And this applies to today as much as it did then. Behold, I am the Lord. I am God of all flesh. Is there anything... That's too hard for me. He is saying to you and I today. Is there anything too hard today for the God who is the Lord and the God of all flesh? Wow. When you really start to think about it and you make it personal. He's saying I can fix any problem you got. Any mountain that stands in front of you because I am the Lord God of all flesh. There ain't nothing too hard for me. Do you even realize who you're talking to? I created everything. Here's the catch though. Do you and I believe that? Do you and I latch a hold of that and really believe what he said? That there is nothing too hard for him to fix. That's where we have to begin to trust in him fully and give it over to him and not doubt the situation. Oh yeah, but I've stumbled in life. You know what? That's not greater than God's love and His ability for you. 
I want you to see what he says in Romans chapter 5 about you and I. He says this, because we are his children. When we, us, were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, and he's going to say this a couple of times, much more than having now been justified by His blood and we are saved by Him from wrath, if when we were the enemies of God... And we were reconciled by Christ's blood. How much more then, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, we can now rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, whom we now have received that reconciliation. That's a lot of big words that means this. You used to be an enemy of God. You used to be a sinner. You used to not think about God, but God's love is so strong that He said, even while you're in that condition, I love you so much that I'm going to send my Son for you. The way you are, even though you don't even know me and care about me. Now, if God is able to do that for us while we are His enemies, He says then, How much more does He want to take care of you and do good things for you now that you are His son and His daughter? How much more? If He does the greatest thing in life for us while we were an enemy, now that you are my children, what am I going to do for you? Do you think I'm going to do less now that you love me and you gave your life over to me? Do you think I'm going to leave you out to hang in high and dry? When you were my enemy, I loved you. I gave you the most precious gift, my only begotten son, when you were ungodly and a sinner. So do you not think now I know how to give you good things in life as you begin to walk through? Most of the time, though, what do I do? Speaking for myself, I mope around. And I think, I'm by myself in this whole thing. I'm not able to take care of it. I quit relying on Him and what He's supposed to be for me. Jesus had a parable about this. I don't know if you remember it. We're going to study it one day. Jesus said, If your son asks you for bread, are you going to give him a rock? Are you going to give him a stone? If your son asks for a piece of fish, are you going to give him a snake or a serpent? And if your son asks you for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? Well, that's absurd, isn't it? Would you give a scorpion to a little guy like that? Or a serpent? No. Especially if it's your child. So Jesus goes on then to say, How much more with us being evil compared to God the Father, and we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does He Give good gifts to those who love Him. 
It would be absurd to think that God does not want you to succeed, that he wants you to fail, and that he wants you to be miserable in this life. That is absurd. He knows how to give you the good things. It's the whispers of the enemy who tries to tell you otherwise. Now, if you've turned to Isaiah 45, we're going to get there right now. But if you're not, go ahead and turn because i got one more scripture. I want you to see first as we lay a foundation for this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And there we are told that all of the promises, we've been studying a lot of those, haven't we? All of the promises of God in Christ to us are yes. And in Him they are amen. So be it. Why? Because it all goes through to the glory of God through us. And now He that has established us in Christ and has anointed us is God. So what I want you to see from that verse that we have been established and we have been anointed by God in Christ. And one of those things is to be a priest unto God. He has made us a kingdom of priests. And to be a priest, the first thing they did to Aaron and his sons was anoint them and separate them into that we have been anointed folks into service to God and with that being said now I want you to see what God says to Cyrus through Isaiah but when he says Cyrus put your name there make it personal because the word of God abides today with the same promises as it did to them listen to this and put your name in there it says This is what the Lord is saying to Daryl, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened and never to shut again. And this is what the Lord says. I go before you. And insert your name there. I am going before you, and I will level your mountains. I will smash down the gates of bronze, and this is the NLT version, and cut through the bars of iron, and I will give you treasures that are hidden in the darkness, secret riches. And I will do this, why? So that you will know that I am the Lord God of Israel, the one who calls you. By name. God knows you by name. He has called you by name. He has anointed us when we went through baptism into Christ and to Him. We were separated unto Him and anointed. And He says, Do you got a mountain in front of you? The word there was a swell, a crooked, swelling place. I can make it straight and level. I will take the path that you think is hard and uphill and crooked, and I will level it for you and make it flat. You've got a road ahead of you, but there seems to be a gate that is stopping you. The word is, I will smash it open. Do you got something that closes in around you like a prison cell of iron bars? We always call that being behind bars. He says, I will cut through the bars to release you from those things. And sometimes he waits until we get down on our knees. You know why? Because if 
everything was easy, we would think we were doing it. But he's got to wait until we really get desperate and we come to him. And when we said, Lord, I have no way out of this. Will you help me? Then he says, I reach out and I do this so that you will know that I am God. And that I am there helping you. And once I have done that, the path ahead for a while is clear. I've cleared that out. I have went ahead of you and prepared the way for you. But I want you to realize that I'm God and who is actually doing this and preparing you for this. I am going to do that. Level your path. What is your insert? your gate or your mountain there. And he says, I'm there to handle it when you, like my servant Caleb, fully begin to trust in me and give it to him. Now, here's another promise for us. Jeremiah 29, 11. God always has you on his mind. He told Jeremiah when he opened it up, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I know all about you. And he tells him here in chapter 29 now when he's doubting and when he's hurting and he says, I know the plans that I have for you. You don't know them. I don't know the plans that God has for me. But he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Trust me, they are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They are plans to not destroy you but to give you good. Why? Because I want you to know that you've got a future and that you've got hope in this life. You're not without hope and you're not without a future. Let's go to New Testament. Same thing, Romans 15 and verse 13. And again, these are all our Berean chapters for the week to get a a fuller idea of what God is trying to tell us. But it says in 1513 of Romans, May the God of hope, what's he a God of? Hope. He is the God of your hope in life. May He fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm the God of hope. I'm not just the God that created the, the grass and the flowers. I'm the God of your future. I'm the God of your hope and what direction you need to go. And when you trust in me and you allow me to lead you on the trail that I'm blazing for you, you follow my word, you follow the map, I will fill you with joy, with peace, so that you will overflow with it. And to give that through the power of my spirit that I give to you. But what do I got to do? Train my mind to believe that and to accept it. Do I really again? I challenge you to make these things personal. Do I really believe that God is the God of all hope. And that he wants that for me in my future. And to be filled and overflowing with these things. Answer is yes he does. But will I grab it and take it and run with it and really believe it. Whatever your situation is, the Scriptures has a lot of verses to cover that. What I do, just like when I prepare this lesson, I will go there and I can Google something and say, 
Give me Bible verses on hope. Give me Bible verses on a future. Give me Bible verses on how to overcome temptation, fear, anxiety, depression, disbelief. You will get all kinds of searches back that comes with the scriptures laid out. Take those promises that are there. Find the two or three or four that really move you. And then allow yourself to meditate on those. Write them on a piece of paper. Put them on a card. Do something to put them in front of you. And to grab a hold of them and believe that they are real. Ecclesiastes Chapter 9 and verse 7 has this to say to you and I. Put a smile on your face. Go and eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a happy heart. For God has already accepted you and your works. In other words, if you really trust in me, and that I'm handling it, and I am the God of your future and your hope, then start putting on a happy face. Start eating, drinking, and going on with life because I'm going to handle it when you put it on my shoulders. I'm not going to let you down in this. Go and do it. Start leaning on God and not upon our own understanding and our own ways. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says about this in verse 13. There is no temptation that has overtaken you except one that is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also provide you a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. But Lord, my mountain is tall. I have gotten myself off into some things. Well, That's no surprise to me. And I am still the God of your future and the God of hope and the God that says, I am going to take you now from where you're at, from place A to place B in your life. Give it to me. And from now on, when we get to a mountain, don't try to fight it yourself. Put it in His hands. Lord, you made a promise to me right here. You made a promise that said that you will provide a way out and I don't see it. Every time I get here, that gate is closed and it doesn't let me through and I always fall down and go backwards. But you've promised me that if I give it to you and I keep my mind steady on you, that you will allow me to bear it and to go through it and provide a way of escape and to move. And you put it on God's shoulders and not upon your own. And fully believe the promises that he has made to us. That he will take it. Why? Why do you think God wants you to do that and bear it? Well, look at this. Let's go back and check out Isaiah 45 again. That promise where he said, I will take the mountain and level it. I will smash the gate. Those are all action verbs. I'm going to smash, I'm going to level, I'm going to cut. Why? Look at verse 3. So that you may know that I, the Lord, who calls you by your name, that I am God. 
I am going to do these things for you when you go to me and reach out to me so that you will know I am there and I am God and I am doing it for you. And that's a promise that he gives to us. So in other words, God has GPS. You've heard of GPS that we have, the global positioning system with the satellites. God has GPS, but it's called God's positioning system. It's never going to say the road goes ahead and you fall into the river. His system knows exactly the way to go, but he also knows exactly where you're at. He hasn't lost track of you. He hasn't forgot you. You might have took a wrong turn, but he says, I've still got you on track. And when you come to me, I will start blazing the trail from where you are this moment and start taking you the right way. You want to see a promise on that? You want to see how much God loves you and cares about you and what he's going to do? We're going to go to Lamentations chapter 3 now. And I ask you, when's the last time you heard Lamentations preached on, huh? Been a while, okay? So we need to remember something. We need to recall something to mind then because we've not had this very much, have we, in our life? Look at what chapter 3 says, starting in verse 21. This thing I will recall to my mind. Why? Therefore I can have hope if I remember these things. The Lord's mercies we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. In other words, if you are here and you are still alive, God has a plan for you and His mercies have not run out. And He knows exactly where you are. Through the Lord's mercies I have not been consumed. Because why? His compassions fail not. You think you've run God out of compassion? Not yet. And you know what? Not only is it inexhaustible, look at the next verse. They are new every morning. But Lord, I screwed up so bad yesterday. My compassions are new every morning. No, you don't know how bad I blew it. Mine fail not. You really think my creation... That you can outdo me? You really think that you can go so far as to my love and my compassion can't cover that for you? No. Great is the faithfulness of God, it says there. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm not faithful, but God is. Praise his name. Therefore, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. And I will, there's that word again, hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So every time that voice tries to whisper in your ear, you've blew it this time. You can say, no, the compassions fail not. They're new every day. God is my God of hope. And he takes care of me, and I have not stumbled too much. They are renewed with unlimited potential every day for us. Therefore, I will hope in him because he is faithful and he promised 
this to me. And that word there that says, I will wait on him, is a word that means, yeah, there's going to be times where you've got the squeeze on you. It means to be uncomfortable, to squirm. Things is tight and I'm not really enjoying what's going on. But I will quietly wait to see what you're going to do. And it means to wait with all expectation that he will carry out his promise. Even though I'm not comfortable at all right now. But he is going to come through and make it okay. And then he is going to blaze the trail again for us from where we are at right now. To take us where we need to go. So as our worship team comes on back up, we serve a God who has blazed a trail for us. He's got us going. He knows where we need to be. But let's review a couple of promises to take us through this next week and through the rest of our lives. First of all, God said, I am the Lord God, the God of all flesh. Nothing is too hard for me. You are my child. I loved you and I sent my son to even die for you while you were still a sinner and while you were ungodly and you were my enemy. How much more then do you think I'm not going to take care of you now with these promises? I took care of you before you even knew I was taking care of you. How much more now am I going to take care of you? I promise to go before you. I will level your mountains, I will open your gates, I will cut the bars that stand in your way. Don't worry about your future. I am the God of all hope, and I am the God that takes you where you need to go. Trust me, and I will make your joy overflow. Your mountain, your temptation, your problem, it's a common one. There's nothing that's not been common to man from when we fell in the garden till now. I got it. It's not new to me. And I, you can put it on my shoulders and I'll handle it for you. And then he said this in, in that reverse verse in Lamentations. Always recall these things to mind. Always remember these things. It will give you hope. I have a plan for you. My compassion fails not my mercy is renewed every day won't you give it to me and go about your life now smiling and happy and rejoicing because i am the god who is lord of all flesh and there is nothing too hard for me to do for you let's pray oh father Those are some of the most powerful verses and words that there are in the world. If we will truly believe these scriptures and place them and practice in our heart and mind and recall them daily, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Father, thank you for being a God whose compassions and mercies are renewed every day. And most of the time I feel like I'm alone and that why would I even be worthy of your thoughts or your care. And you repeatedly throughout these scriptures say I care for you. You are my child. How would I not? So we love you. We thank you. And now we all 
place our life in your hands and want to follow and trust you, the God who blazes the trail before us anew beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen.